Okay, so before we begin, in progress. Okay, so today's learning uh, by a couple uh, people. First of all, by Yehuda Peleh for Atzlach of those learning with Hashivenu, by Avi Hershkowitz, Lizecha Nishas Hinda, Bas Yosef Sihalev in Nisham Shavaliyah, by Michael Rollhouse for Gila Bas Shloim and Leah Bas Afraim in Nisham Shavaliyah. A couple people anonymously, and by Mr. Lord Shrefush Lemi Yehudis Bas Miriam Shishavu Shrefush Lemi Bekarov. So we're going to pick it up from Daf Mem Zayin Amud Bey is the bottom line. So we had yesterday, you have a situation like this. A person sells a land, but he just sells the fruit of the land. Meaning, I own the actual field. I'm just selling you. You have the rights to the Paris on top, but it's still my field. The question is, so I sell it to you. So now you are in control of my field. Again, I still own it. I'm the landlord. You're the tenant. So the question is, when you separate fruit, Bikurim, can you say the Psukim, associated with the Bikurim, can you say, Nasata Adam Hashem gave me this land. Well, you have the rights to the fruit. You don't have the actual land itself. So he says, whether Kenyan Peris, Kikinian Aguf, is owning the rights of the fruit, the equivalent of owning the land itself. So the truth is, that's Machlekes Rav Yechon Rishlakish. The truth is, the truth is, it's Lishitaso. The Itmar, it's very interesting. I, I was thinking about this. Every single time that someone buys a field, it's lechora the same machlokas. Why? After Yovel, it goes back, which means during those forty-nine years that I bought the land, while I think I bought the actual land, I didn't really. If you think about it, because it's going to go reverse back to the original owner, which means during those forty-nine years, I just have rights to the fruit. If you think about it conceptually, so this machlokas of whether a person can say bikurim when they just bought the fruits and not the land itself, is the exact same machlokas if you bought the land itself when Yovel is still in practice. Meaning, we, we were going about it in a very like weird machlokas. I just bought the rights to the fruit, not the land itself. Forget about that. During the times of Yovel, it will be the exact same machlokas. I bought the actual land, but I'm going to lose it in 49 years, which means during those 49 years, or however many years it is to Yovel, I just have rights to the fruit because you can't say I actually loan, own the land itself because the land t- it's taken from me. So how do you understand that? It means during those four years, I bought the rights to the fruit. So this machloikis of Rechon Rishlokish, of whether you could say Bikurim in a case where you just bought the fruit, will be the exact same machloikis of whether a purchaser can say Bikurim during the times of Yovel. So the Gemara says, If you sell your land, if you purchase land during the times where Yovel is still functioning, which we don't have anymore, but in the times of the Beis Hamikdash when they had Yovel, Rav Yochanan maybe Rav Yochanan says you could always say the parsha Bikurim. Why? Because again, he holds Kenyan Paris, Kenyan Aguf. Rishlokish says a tremendous chiddush, and that is during the entire times of Yovel, every purchaser cannot say the parsha Bikurim. Rav Yochanan maybe Vikara, Kenyan Paris, Kenyan Aguf, dummy. So you have the same as twice. One is during the times of Yovel, during all purchases, and one is when Yovel is no longer relevant if I just purchase the rights to the fruit. It's the exact same machlokas. So the Gemara says, why do they need to repeat themselves? And I'll say it outside, that we'll see it very inside, it's very simple. The reason why they have to repeat themselves is very simple. And that is, their machlokas that we had yesterday is not as big of a chiddish as the machlokas of today. The machlokas of today of whether they argued yesterday in a scenario where I just bought Paris, I just bought the rights of Paris, I understand that that's a machloikis. That's a machloikis to Rish Rishlokis. If you just bought the rights of Paris, I understand. That, that, that's one machloikis. Today's an even bigger chiddush. Why? 
Over here, I bought the actual land itself. It's just that during Yovel, it's taken away from me. But you could argue that because I bought the actual land also, everyone agrees I should be able to read it. Kamash no, the same achlegas of yesterday is applicable in the case of Yovel as well. The Gemara says, Tzricha, the reason why you need both yesterday's Gemara and today's Gemara is diet mar Yesterday's Gemara where a person just bought the rights of the fruit, that's when Rish Lakish says, yeah, you're not going to say Bikurim because you didn't actually plan on buying anything more than the fruit itself. But in the case of a person where he actually bought the land in addition, it's just during the times of Yovel, the person's intention is to actually purchase the land itself. Perhaps there's no Machlokas. And if you just had today's Machlokas, I would think maybe Rav Yochanan is molded to yesterday's Machlokas. Kamash they argue in both cases. Okay, so you have a Machlokas, Rav Yochanan Rish If I bought just the rights of the fruit, is that the equivalent of buying the land as well, to the extent that I could say the Bikurim Parsha? It's Machlokas, Rav Yochanan Rish Tashima. I have a raya to one opinion. Hakona Elon Vikarko, maybe Vikora. What if I buy uh, an apple tree from you? Not an apple tree, a pomegranate tree. Okay. So says the Braisa, if I buy the tree and the land around it, meaning the land where the roots get nutrients from, then I could say the parsha, but if not, not. Why? Let's say I just bought the tree and not the not the not the not the land itself, then no good. I need to buy the tree and the land also. So the Gemara says, what do you see from here? You see from here that, again, the Gemara is assuming we're talking about a time where it's applicable during Yovel, which means even when I buy the land and the, the tree and the land under it, I only have a Kenyan Paris. And you see that, right? I buy the land and the tree, I say the Parashat Bikurim. But wait a minute, I thought it's taken away from me during the times of Yovel. So I'm, I'm only have a kinyan Paris, right? We said there's a machlokes If I buy land during Yovel, do I ever say bikurim? Over here, I bought the land and I say it. So the Gemara says, The case of our Gemara is where Yovel is not applicable, meaning this Gemara is not talking about at times where Yovel was still in use. This is talking about a time where Yovel is already done. But had it been during the times of Yovel, I wouldn't say it. Another Gemara, Tashima. The Gemara is assuming that for me to say the parish of Bikurim, I have to actually own the land itself. So if I buy two trees from you, do I do we assume that when I bought the trees, do I mean to buy the land in between the trees as well or just the trees? So the Gemara is assuming that if I buy two trees, that's just the trees. But if I buy three or more, then you'll throw in the land also. That was, the, uh, that was I guess, the, uh, the standard like agreement in the times of the Gemara between farmers and purchasers. That if you bought two trees or less, you just get the trees. Two, three trees or more, you get the land as well. So what do you see? I bought three trees, I get the land, I say the Bikurim. But wait a minute, I thought it's taken away from me during the times of Yovel. And during the times of Yovel, even when I purchased the land, I just have rights to the Paris. And you see that I say it. So obviously we see that even if you just purchase the rights of the fa- fruit, that it goes back during Yovel. So the Gemara says, Again, the same proof. The, the Gemara is talking about a case where it's after Yovel. During the times of Yovel, maybe the halacha would be different. So you had a machlekes of Yechon Rish Lakish, whether 
every time you bought land during Yovel, do you say Bikurim or not? And every Raya we thought was during Yovel, we said, no, it's not during Yovel. That's the way to get at it. The truth is, you could actually argue, uh, you could make it work a little simpler, uh, simpler and, that, and that is... It's not so easy. It's not so great to say that like every case of the Gemara is when Yovel no longer applies because like we don't really do Bikurim anymore either. So like it, it's it's a little bit shvach. So the Gemara says what we said before is not so poshut. We started today's daf by saying that Rav Yechon and argue during the times of Yovel, if I buy land, do I say Bikurim? That's what they seem to be arguing. It's not so poshut as that. They only argued about whether you say the parsha. After the first Yovel. Right, Yovel is a 50-year thing. During the first 50 years that the Jews went into Eretz Yisrael and actually had Yovel, everybody agrees that you said it. Why? What's the premise? Why is it that Rish Lakish feels you can't say it when Yovel is applicable? Because when I sell you land, I know I'm not keeping it. Right? I sell you land. I know you're not keeping it. I'm getting it back. Which means when you bought it, you only bought the rights of the fruit. That was only true after the second Yovel. Because you see, during the first Yovel, Klal Yisrael never did it before. So they didn't really know whether it would be a thing. Well, obviously it's the Ratz and Hashem. They didn't know whether people would practically uh, up, up, live by it. Therefore, when they actually purchased it, they didn't know whether they were just purchasing fruit or land itself. And the Gemara assumes that perception is important. After the first Yovel, once they already like, okay, we're used to this. Like, okay, we get, we're in a rhythm. I sell it to you, I get it back in 49 years. I sell it to you, I get it back in 49 years. That's when they argue, but during the first Yovel, everybody agrees that if I sold it to you, I get, I, I, then I'm able to say it. Why? Because when I sold you during the first Yovel, you didn't know you were going to give it back. Like, I guess conceptually you knew, but there's a difference between like conceptual knowing and like I've lived through it. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, Hashda Dam Rav Chizda, Rav Chizda clarified, Machleikes B'Yavilsheni, the whole Machleikes of Yechon Rish Lakish, is when you bought land after the first Yovel. So you're already in the rhythm of, I buy land, I get it back. I, I buy land, I give it back. I buy land, I give it back. So you know when you buy it, you're just getting the rights to the Paris. That's when there's a Machleikes. Avil B'Yavil Rishon, but if someone bought land, during the first 50 years that Klal Yisrael had the first Yovel, everybody says that you, you would read the Bikurim. Why? Because you'd say to the guy, you're, 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 you're not keeping it. You're just, he's like, what do you mean I'm not keeping it? Like, you know Yovel's coming. He's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, sure. They never had it before. Therefore, in their minds, which is interesting that their minds actually matter, but in their minds, they actually thought they were keeping it forever. Once they already got in the first rhythm, then things change. So even Rav Yechon Rish they're only arguing from the end of the first Yovel on. During the first Yovel, everybody agrees that you say the Parsha Bikurim. So all these braces before that said Bikurim, we said, oh, that's after Yovel was done. Or it could be during the first Yovel. It's another way to answer these uh, Okay, now, this next Gemara could be very tricky. We're going to do our best, and then the rest of the daf is not hard. You have a machlekes, understand this well, because if, 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 if this part's a little confusing, so you have a machlekes, whether Kenyan Paris is Kenyan Aguf, which means if I bought the rights to the fruit, is that the equivalent of buying the land itself? That, that's it. It's machlekes, Kenyan Paris, Kenyan Aguf. The Gemara says, Le I think it's totally in the following Machlekes Tanoim. Now, what is this Machlekes Tanoim? Now, before we start this Machlekes Tanoim, this is what you only thing you really have to understand. It's a tricky Parsha in the Torah. This is actually a biblically tricky part. It's, I think, in Bechu And that is, there is a difference between Ste'achuza 
and stay Kenyan when it comes to Hegdish, which means I'm Magdish land to the Beis HaMikdash. I donate land to the Beis HaMikdash. What happens at Yovel? There is a difference between whether it's my inherited land or whether it's land I purchased. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if it's your inherited land, so you're a straight lineage back to Yoshua ben Nun. So that is your ancestral land. That is your ancestral land. And you're Magdish that? The laws are different than if you bought land and it's Magdish. Okay. The, why the Pasuk, the Pasuk says so? The, the Pasuk says so. Rashi says, the difference is, I'll read you Rashi. It's one Rashi he clarifies. Stay Achuza. Im Hikdisha. If you have ancestral land, so it's your land going back, Dairis, Dairis, Dairis. You never bought it. It was just passed down from father to child. And you're Magdish it. Then you have until Yovel to pay to buy it back. Below Gala, but if you did not before Yovel buy it back, and then the Besamikdash sold it, then the following Yovel, it goes back to the Besamikdash and it's distributed amongst the Kohanim. So basically you have until Yovel to buy it back, and if you don't, you're never getting it back. But if it's purchased land, so let's say you bought land from my father. And then you're Magdish it, then by Yovel, it goes to my father, it goes back to my father. So there's a difference between if you're Magdish bought land or ancestral land. Again, the, ancestral land goes back to the Kehila. It goes to the Kehanim. It doesn't go back to you. If I am Magdish, my land that I got from back to Yeshua Benun, and I don't buy it back by Yovel, it's poof, it's gone, it goes to the Kehanim. It's Kehanim. I don't have to. If I want it back, I could buy it back. Does it go automatically back to you? No, not not when you're Magdish ancestral land. That's the point. If you're oh, Magdish, you're yeah, this is all Hegdish. If I have land that's my ancestry and I'm Magdish it to the base Amikdash, there is a difference of what happens whether I'm Magdish ancestral land or land I bought from someone. If I it's just land I bought and I'm Magdish it, it goes back to the original owner. If it's ancestral land, it's gone. And it keeps the yeah. as as it is. Divided up from generation to generation. Correct. Inheritance. Correct. But that. But the main point of this Gemara is you have to remember there is a difference between ancestral land and land that I bought. That's the only thing you really have to know. Now let's let's analyze this. I think this Shaila of whether rights to the Paris is the equivalent of owning the actual land itself is the following Machlekes Tanoim. The Machlekes Tanoim goes as follows. Okay. Here, basically, here's the deal. My father has ancestral land that he has going back to Yeshua ben Nun. I buy it not. I don't want to use my father because I realize how the Gemara ends. Okay, John has and okay, Avram has ancestral land going back to Yeshua ben Nun. His son Yitzchak buys it from him. Then his father dies. The question is: Is that land considered bought land or ancestral land? Because it's kind of both. It was purchased. And then the father died, it became his inheritance. So the, let's analyze this case very, 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 very clearly. You have a son who bought land from his father. And then he was Magdishit, by the way. He was Magdishit before he inherited it. So bought, Hegdish, then the father died. So the father died while the land, after he was Magdishit. So he buys the land, it's bought land. He's Magdashit, he's Magdashit has bought land. Then the father dies, so now it becomes inheritance, but it's already in the Hegdish. The question is, is that, well, the father's dead. The question is, do we look at that land as ancestral land, because it was at some point ancestral land, or do you say, no, it's considered bought land, because when he was Magdashit, it was bought. So says the Gemara, 
How do I know that this is considered an ancestral land, even though it wasn't ancest, it wasn't inheritance by the time he was Magdashit, but it became inheritance later? The Pasuk says, when it describes bought land, it says bought land that is not inherited land. This land could have been inherited, it had potential. So this, okay, so we start, this is Divrei of Yehuda of Shimon. So Rav Yehuda of Shimon start off with a big chiddush, which is a son buys the land from the father, is magdishit as bought land, then the father dies, we treat that as ancestral land. Even though I wouldn't think so, but that's what the Pasuk says. Rav Meir says, no, that's too much of a chiddush. I'm going to pull it back. Rameir says, that's too much of a chiddush. Here's what I agree to. Fine. Rameir says, no, no, that's too much of a chiddush. I'll tell you what I agree with. Son buys the land from the father, then the father dies, then he's magdashit. You understand the difference? Son buys the land from the father, then the father dies, so it becomes inheritance, then he's Magdashit. So Rameir says, that's when I agree it's considered ancestral land, because by the time he's Magdashit, it's already inheritance. But in the first case, where son buys from the father, is Magdash, then the father dies, too much of a chiddush. So in other words, they argue about the father, so why does Rav Shimon Rav Shimon Rav Yudah not like Rameir's case? Because they're like, that's Pasha. Think about it. He buys it from the father, and then the father dies, and then he's Magdashit. Yeah, of course it's inheritance. I don't care what happens in the past. He buys it from the father, so it's bought. But then the father dies, so it becomes inheritance, and then he's Magdashit. Like, Shimon and Rav Yudah are like, that's so Pashit. Rameir is like, no, I think that, that I think that's a Chiddush. So you have Rameir and Rav Shimon are arguing in the following case, whether that's worthy of being described in the Pasuk. Rav Shimon and Rav Yudah are like, no, that's too Pashit. Rameir is like, no, I, th- I think that's a... That's a Good Chiddush. So the Gemara says, what is the Machlokas about? Rav Shimon Rav Yehuda, the Rav Yehuda Rav Shimon, So what is the Machlokas about? In other words, just very simply put, a son buys the land from the father. The father then dies. Then the son is Magdashit. Do I need the Pasuk to tell me that's inherited land? Rav Meir says, yes. Rav Shimon Rav Yehuda says, no. Rav Shimon Rav Yehuda, I think, make a lot of sense. He bought it, but then the father died, so it became inheritance. And then he's Magdashit. So, like, why is that not Magdash inherited land? You know what it has to do with? Says the Gemara, my love, I could explain the Machlegas in the following way. Think about it like this. Rav Meir holds that when you buy land, when you buy the fruit, it's as if buying the land itself. So, according to Rav Meir, think about the case. What's the case? I bought land from, my, from the father. Then the father died, and then I'm Magdashit. The question is, is that a Chiddush? Is it necessary to tell me that's inherited land? Rameir says, yes, that's a Chiddush. Why? It's Pashat. He says, no, it's not. Because when he bought it from the father, if you look at buying the rights to the fruit as like buying the land itself, so when he bought it from the father, it was a full purchase, full separation from the dad. Dad has nothing involved. Not that he's holding on to the rights of the land, gone. He's completely removed. Then when the father died, I could look at it as nothing happened, right? I already bought it from the dad, right? The son buys it from the father. Then the father dies. So you're like, oh, it became inheritance. Why? What do you mean it became inheritance? It's already mine. You'll say, but you only have rights to the fruit. Now you have rights to the land. 
Rights of the fruit is equal to the rights of the land. So when the son bought it, it was 100% in his domain. When the father died, you could look at that as irrelevant. Rav Shem and Rav Yehuda say, no, the rights to the fruit is not the rights to the land. So that's how they look at this case. The son buys it from the father, gets the right of the fruit. Father dies, they now inherit the rights of the land. Full inheritance. You don't need a Pasuk to tell me that. The Machlaikis of Meir and Rav Yehuda, whether you need a Pasuk to, allo- to describe this case as being inheritance, has to do with, does the change when the son purchases it from the father, then the father dies, now it's inherited. What happened was, when he bought it, he had the rights to the fruit. Now that he dies, he has the rights to the land. If you hold the rights of the fruit as the equivalent to the right of the land, nothing happened by the inheritance. So you could look at it as, I don't look at that as inherited land, I look at this purchased land. Rev Shimon, Rev Yehuda, hold no, Kenyan Paris is Lavka Kenyan Aguf. So when they bought the rights to the fruit, they never got anything more than that. All they got the rights to the fruit. When the father died, now they're Makabal something more. Now full inheritance. I don't need a Pasuk to tell me that. So this Machlokis could be totally on what the Chiddush of the Pasuk is. So the Gemara says, My Lava Hakimivaki, Rameir Savi Kenyan Paris Kenyan Aguf Dami, Ubahaba Misa Savu Hutalayaris, Vlaimidi. If Rameir holds a Kenyan Paris Kenyan Aguf, that means that when the son bought it, he got Kenyan Paris, he got Kenyan Aguf. And therefore, for when the father died, nothing changed. And therefore, you need a pasuk to tell me that in this case, it's considered an inheritance. They say no. Buying the rights of the fruit is different than the rights of the land. And when the father dies, now they makabel kinyan aguf. And therefore, it's not necessary to say this pasuk. So this could be what the machlokes is about. And the Gemara says no. The answer is no. It could be that really, Rav Yehuda, what's your assumption? Your assumption is the fact that the Rav Yehuda and Rav Shimon went with a bigger Chiddush. They did not feel that it was necessary to describe the following case. You buy it from the father, then the father dies, then you're Magdish it. They were like, that's not necessary, that's Pashat. Why? Because they look at it as Kinyan Paris, Lav Kikinin Aguf, which means when they bought it from the father, they got 50% of rights. When the father died, they got the remaining 100%. That's an inheritance. Full inheritance, and then the father, and then they're Magdish it, it's Pashat. So they had to go a bigger chiddush. The Gemara says, perhaps not. Perhaps really in general, they hold Kinyan Paris is Kikinin Aguf. But here, the way they looked at the Pasuk, this Pasuk they felt was telling them a bigger chiddush. There's two statements here. There's the biggest chiddush and a lesser chiddush. Rav Meir went with the lesser chiddush. They felt that lesser chiddush was Pashit. So they said, why? Because Kinyan Paris has nothing to do with Kinyan Paris, Kinyan Aguf. They darshan the Pasuk. They felt the Pasuk was giving them room to darshan the biggest chiddush. In general, it could be they agree with Rav Meir that Kinyan Paris is Kikinian Aguf. So why didn't they go with the lesser chiddush like Rav Meir? Because they felt the Pasuk allowed them to make a bigger drasha. You're, basically, it has to do with their assumption is that the fact that Rav Shem and Rav Yehuda chose not to darshan like Rav Meir, the lesser chiddush, and went bigger is because it was pasha to them. Maybe it wasn't pasha, maybe it was a chiddush also, but they wanted to go a bigger chiddush. It's possible that they felt the drusha was allowing them room to darshan an even bigger chiddush. And therefore, it's not indicative of how they hold in general of Kinyan Periski, Kinyan Aguf. Okay, now, that, that's sort of behind us. Again, it's a drusha, it's, it's nitty-gritty. If you, if you hazard over and you, you watch the shear again, I think it makes sense. Let's go back here. 
Um, the Gemara says, Amr of Yosef, he loved Amr of Yochanan, Kinyan Peris, Kikinyan Haguftami, Leimotza Yoda Viragav Besamadrish. This is interesting. According to, I'll tell you the following equation, you'll see the big problem. Let's say you hold Kinyan Peris, Lav Kikinyan Haguf, which means that when you buy it, during, at least during the times of Yovo, you're not actually getting the actual land itself. You're just getting rights to it. Every purchase does not give you the actual land. Okay. If you feel that way, and you also feel that every time there's an inheritance amongst brothers, it's considered a purchase. Remember we had this once, that when two brothers inherit land and it's split up between the two, we don't look at it as each one is getting what was sent to them as through an inheritance, but rather um, they're splitting amongst each other like a purchase. Right? That was an opinion, right? If you believe in Brera, then... Right? You have three brothers. Make it easy. Forget about the Bihar. Three brothers. Each one's getting 33% of the fruit, of the trees, of the land, of the animals, of the assets. How do you look at it? If you say Brera, then when they allocate, you get 33 cows, you get 33 cows, you get 33 cows. If you say Brera, that means that retroactively, I got what was sent to me, he got what was sent to him, that we all got inheritance. Rav Yechon doesn't believe in Brera. What does he look at it as? Inheritance gives you the rights to purchase 33%. I purchase it, you purchase it, you purchase it. We're just like, it's considered like a, a transaction. If you believe that every time you purchase land, you're only getting Kenyan Paris, not Kenyan Aguf, right? And you believe that every inheritance is a purchase, that means that you'll never say Bikurim. The only time you'll say Bikurim is if there's a father who has one son, who has one son, who has one son, and there was never... Because once, if you believe that every time you purchase something, you're not actually getting the Kinyan Haguf, right? Because that goes back by Yovel. You're just getting Kinyan Paris. And every time there's a, an inheritance amongst the brothers, it's a purchase, then you'll never actually say Bikurim. Why? Meaning, if you, if you didn't say like Rav Yochanan, if you, Rav Yochanan sort of helps us, because if you don't say like Rav Yochanan, if you say Kinyan Peris Lav Kinyan Aguf, which means that every time you purchase land, you're not actually getting the land itself, you're just getting the rights to it, and every single inheritance is just a purchase, so then you never actually will say Bikurim. Right? To say Bikurim, you actually have to purchase the land itself, and every single time there's a death, it's a purchase. So, in, in essence, the only time you'll say Bikurim, you'll only find Biblical Bikurim, El Chad V'chad, uh, there has to be father-son, father-son, with no actual split up amongst the brothers. You actually have to have single father, single son, single father, single son. Because once you have a split up amongst the brothers, then it's considered a purchase. And then once it's a purchase, during the times of Yovel, you're not going to say Bikurim. So Rav Yochanan, thank God, he says, And therefore you're able to say it. Okay. As long as it's straight down, then... It's Without brothers. Without brothers, Correct. But if you actually were to say Kinyan Peris Lavki Kinyan Aguf, once there's brothers, you wouldn't be able to say Bikurim. We follow Rav Yochanan. That's the point. But it happens to be this. This is a long time. It's a very complicated circuit because you could also look at it as even yeah. There's there's ways to go about it. But let's go back here. Okay. Amar Rava, Kra Umasisa Masila Rish Lakish. After all this, we have a pasuk. And a brisa that backs up Rish Lakish. Again, Rish Lakish feels that Kinyan Paris lav Kikinin Aguf, which means that every time you sell land to somebody, 
every time you sell land to somebody, because it's going to come back to you during Yovel, the guy is not actually purchasing the land itself. He's just purchasing the rights to the fruit, and the rights to the fruit is not the land. We have a Pasuk and a Braisa that backs up Reish Lakish. What's the Pasuk? Krog on the next page. The Pasuk says that when I buy land, I'm, and I want to, let's say, um, uh, Rashi says, I mean, the Pasuk is describing, um, hold on one second, yeah, sorry, the Pasuk, I just want to get the full Pasuk, the Pasuk says like this, you're selling the number of crops, meaning the Pasuk is describing sale during the times of Yovel, and it says you're only selling until Yovel comes back, meaning if I'm selling you a house, I'm not actually selling you the value of your house. I'm selling you based on the years of Yovel. Because think about it, I'm getting it back during Yovel, so I'm not, it doesn't matter. Like, the house could be worth $1 million, but it doesn't matter because you're only selling how much a person would use it for for 49 years. So the fact that the Pusik describes it that way indicates that you're not actually buying the land, you're just buying the rights of the fruit. The, the, the actual Mashmos of the Pusik is like that. Second source, like Rishlakish, uh, very, very simple. <laughs> the Bechar gets double, right? Let me ask you a question. What happens if the father dies, they split up everything, the Bechar gets double, the rest of the brothers get one. Ten years later, um, they get a letter in the mail. Oh, uh, you know, your father's uh, estate was just donated $100,000 tax write-off, or what, I don't know, they, they got a lot of money. Ten years after he dies. Does the Bechar get two? No. He only gets two of what was the father's at the time of death. Assets that come later, that's split up evenly amongst the brothers. Okay, remember that. Now here's the halacha. Yovel comes by, the first Yovel after the father's death. He gets land back, right? That could happen. Right? He gets land back because the father had sold it. He gets land back. The Bechar gets two. Why? I thought that's later. The answer is because he owned it the whole time. Because he owned it the whole time. If you hold like Rishlakish, that every time you sell land during Yovel, you're not actually selling the land itself. You're just selling the rights to the fruit, but you're still holding on to it. That means that when the father died, he actually had that land. So when Yovel happens, it's not like, oh, it comes back to him. It never left him. He just gets the right to the fruit. Therefore, the Bechar... Meaning, if you hold like Rishlakish, a kinin peris, lavke kinin aguf, that means that when you sell land during Yovel, I'm still holding on the kinin aguf. You just have kinin peris, but I'm still like holding on to the land like at its source. Therefore, when the Yovel after the father dies, when they get the land back, the Bechar gets double. But wait a minute, I thought the Bechar only gets double of land, that, that, of assets that were in the father's estate at the time of death. The answer is, it was. Oh, yeah. He died 49 years ago. The answer is, but kinin peris is lavke kinin aguf, which means... The father was holding on to the, the father had that estate at the time of death. Okay, it's a, it's a good chap. Now I'll just finish up this parak and we'll do the next, and then it, it won't, won't be too difficult. Um, Nektina, we have a tradition. Every husband, uh, he only has the rights of the fruit to the wife, the wife's estate, right? He doesn't actually own the estate, the rights of the fruit. Therefore, he has to ask permission. If let's say they want him to litigate, let's say there's a problem with the land, yeah? The land is owned by the wife, but the husband has the right to the fruit. There's uh, some sort of dispute, and the husband wants to litigate, not against his wife, against John. He has to ask the wife permission officially to do it, because it's not his land to litigate, you understand. But says the Gemara, 
Because again, this follows Rishlakish, that Kinyan Paris Lavki Kinagov, which means the husband doesn't actually own the land, he just owns the rights to the fruit, and therefore the 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 one who could like t- I mean, think about it. If you own the rights to the fruit, I own the actual land itself, and you want to sue somebody, I gotta sue. I'm the I'm the landlord. You're, you're the tenant. You can't sue. I'm I'm the landlord. So so too is the husband and wife. The husband has to get official like um uh, what's it called where you like uh, on uh, you you serve on his behalf? What do you call it? Like a uh, attorney, like rights of attorney, whatever it is. Power, power of attorney. He has to take the power of attorney officially from the wife in order to litigate. But says the Gemara, But if he's litigating because the, the person is affecting his fruit, meaning if the person is just affecting the land itself, not the fruit. Let's say there's a problem of damage with the fruit, but not the land. The, the, there's a damage with the land itself, but not the fruit. Then the wife has to litigate because it doesn't affect him. But if it's actually affecting the fruit itself, which is his Indian, then he could litigate without her permission. And then once he's litigating, he could litigate on her behalf without asking permission. Okay. Okay. New parak. Uh, it's like this. Parak deals with like this. The, 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 there's three different types of land. It's called Idis, Ziburis, and Beninis. Idis is the best quality. Ziboris is the cheapest quality, and Benini is the middle quality. Every person has that. If you have three lands, you have Idis, Ziburis, and Beninis. Now, this is why it's Negea. It says the Mishnah, Hanizakin, Shaman Lan Beidis. If these are all Takanis, by the way, everything in the Mishnah is Takanis to help society. Okay. First one. Um, if you're if you're if I'm collecting a debt owed to me because you damaged me, I get to collect from the Idis, from the nicest land. Meaning, so let's say I'm owed $10,000, you, you broke my nose, and you pay me $10,000, so you, you don't have cash, but you have land, I get to take from the best land. You can't just give me 10000 of swamp land. I get 10000 of, like, really good crops. Okay. If you're collecting a debt, not a damage, a debt, just debt owed to me, then you, pay, you take bainness. Average. You can't take the best, you don't have to take the worst, you take average. If a woman is collecting her dowry from the husband's estate, he gets she gets from the cheapest land. Okay. Yeah. Well, the money inside the ksuba. Yeah. So, or, or or any form of ksuba payment it could be the dowry, it could be the money owed, whatever it is. She's collecting from zibaris from the cheapest land. She does not get middle because we we want to we we don't want to make it that husbands are like why would I get married to her if she's gonna take like my best land. Okay. Weiter. Rav Meir Oimer, Af Ksuvis Yishu Bebeinus, Rav Meir disagrees. He says, no, Ksuvis is also taken from the husband's average land. Let's keep going. Ein Afroim Menechasim Meshubadim. Be'makam Sheyesh Nechasim Bnei Chorim. Afilu Hein Ziboris. Here's the halacha. If I owe you money, no, you owe me money. Make it easier. You owe me money. I can take it from you. But let's say you don't have any cash. So I could take land. Let's say you don't have any land. There's a lien on your property. I could take what's called encumbered property, which means if you sold the land to someone else, I could take it. I could undo that sale. The halach is I can only undo that sale if you have no land available, no real estate available. Let's say the only land you have is really cheap quality. I still, I have to take the stuff that you have. I can't undo a sale if you have actual real estate ready to give to me. The reason being is because undoing sales will really hurt uh, 
buying and selling because I'm not going to buy like every time I buy land from you, if I know there's like a good chance, I'm going to lose it because you owed money to some guy. That's not good. So therefore we only want to allow you to have to exercise the lien on the property in case of real necessity. Says the Gemara Vaiter. Uh, 828 will be done 835. Uh, seven minutes. Let's go back Okay, if a creditor wants to take payment from orphans that are under bar mitzvah, you will, you're only allowed to take from the inferior land. To protect orphans, we don't allow you to take the better land, inferior only. Okay. Ein Maitsian. We do not collect from encumbered property, which means undoing sales. We only, like I said before, we don't want to undo sales very often. It's really not good for commerce. So we're not going to undo sales, lachilas peris, for to uh, give woman fruit, l'shavoich karkois, to the improvement of land. What it means is like this. Um, yeah, one second. I'm sorry. Ein moitzin, we do not collect lachilas peris, what this means is like this. Let's say um, I bought land from you. I put in $50,000 to improve it. And then all of a sudden I realized that land was stolen. So Besden took it away from me. I could collect $50,000 from you, obviously. because I, I put in so much money and it was under false pretenses. You could actually pay. I cannot collect that $50,000 from encumbered property. Meaning, I can only collect it from cash that you have or real estate that you have. I cannot go to someone else and take it because people, we don't want to just take liens on properties and encumbered property. So you can't uh, undo a lien for that. You can't do it for Muzan Isha Vabanos to feed his ex wife, uh, a man's wife or a man's daughters. Let's say, uh, even not ex wife, let's say he needs food to pay for his wife and his daughter's food. We are not going to go to property that he sold and undo it in order to pay their debt. We're not going to do that. This is all for the benefit of society. And the last one is if I find a lost object, you can't make me swear. Meaning like this, I find a wallet, I return it to you. I'm a good dude, I return it to you and you're like, it's 60 bucks in here, they were $100 in here, you stole $40. Make you swear? No. They're not going to make me swear. Because then I'm just not going to return it to you. So it's, it's, not, it's not worth it. Now let's just finish up. Um, Okay, do my best to explain this very simply and very quickly. We said in the Mishnah that we collect from, again, if I damage your property, I collect from the choicest superior land, the best land, and that's olam for a benefit of society. I thought it's biblical. That's a biblical concept that I get to take from the best land, not for benefit of society. Benefit of society is basically you go around punching people's faces, we're going to make you stop. So one of the ways to make you stop is you're going to have to pay from the choices of your land. That's what the Mishnah sounds like. It's a biblical concept. It's not a tikkun of society. The Gemara says, you're telling me that it's a rabbinic law in order to allow society to function properly? Isn't it doraisa? As the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says you pay damages from the choices field. So what do you mean it's rabbinic? I thought it's a biblical concept. So the Gemara says, Our Mishnah goes according to Rabbi Shmol. The case is, Rishmal says, the Pasuk says that you pay from the choices of land. The question is, whose choices? Mine or yours? Meaning, I'll tell, you, I'll, I'll tell you how the Gemara ends off explaining this. The case is, I'm super poor. You're super wealthy. Okay? You beat me up. 
The Pasuk says, pay the choices of the land. Let's say it's $10,000 of damages. Now, my choice, my best $10,000 land is your least quality. So the question is, when the Pasuk, so Rabbi Shmuel says, on a biblical level, you pay based on the value of the damagee. That would mean that you have to give me land based on my choices, my best. The problem is my best could be your worst. So then it turns out you're giving me swampland and like, what do you mean? That's like garbage. He's like, yeah, but that, it's like the best thing he has. So it's his best. No, 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 no. That's biblical. Now our mission says, no, for the benefit of society, if I get $10,000, I don't care what my, I'm taking your best. Even though your, your worst is my best, I get to take your best. That's the Tikkun Olam. So on a biblical level, yes, you're going to get the best. But on a biblical level, it could be my best as in the damage that, that the, the damage party. My best could be your worst. And therefore, you're like, yeah, take the swamp land. What do I care? The answer is no. We're taking your best as a punishment. That's the Tikkun Olam. Let's just run through it very quickly. My Rabbi Shmuel, where is Rabbi Shmuel's source? The Tanya, the price says, Meitav Sadeu, Meitav Karmi Yishali. The Pasta says, You shall pay the choicest land for, to pay off the damages. Meitav Sadeu shall Nizak, Meitav Karni shall Nizak. Div Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Shmuel says, You figure you go on a biblical level based on the damage, his best. Now, the Gemara is going to analyze this in a second. Rabbi Kiva Oymer, Rabbi Kiva says a cryptic line. The Kavachar Milahagdish. Rabbi Akiva says, you, you never have to pay more, you just have to pay the choicest land. So, what is Rabbi Akiva saying and what is Rabbi Shmuel referring to? Rabbi Akiva just, Rabbi Shmuel says, you pay based on the best of the damage, and Rabbi Akiva is like, you don't have to pay more. I don't understand what Rabbi Akiva is saying. So, the Gemara says like this very quickly, Ulu Rabbi Shmuel. The Gemara understands like this, Mamish, two minutes. The Gemara understands that according to Rabbi Shmuel, you pay based on the damage. For some reason, the Gemara thinks this is what it means. I destroy uh, you damaged i don't know uh let's instead of beating me up let's go you 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 burnt some of my field you damaged an acre of my land you damaged an acre of my my garbage land i now get an acre of my best land that's what the gemara assumes it means meaning i you damaged you burnt an acre of my garbage land which was worth 100 bucks you have to pay me back an acre of my best land which is worth a thousand dollars that, that's what the Gemara says. And the Gemara is like, wait a minute. So you're telling me that if I damaged $100, I potentially have to pay back $1,000 because it's just acre for an acre? That doesn't make any sense. The Gemara says, If I eat bad vegetables, I have to pay back good vegetables? Like, do you understand how much more? By the way, and that Rebbe Kiva is saying, why should you have to pay more? That could be the argument. But then it's like, that's very strange. Rebbe Shmuel would tell me I have to, if I destroyed garbage, I have to pay back the same mass size of good land. Do you understand how much more that is? So the Gemara says, no. The cases where you damaged some of my land, we don't know which land you damaged. Maybe it's cheap. Maybe it's not cheap. So you have to give me the best. Like Suffolk Lechomra. The Gemara says, but that's also That's also strange. Uh, when it comes to money, do we say suffolk you have to pay? Never. It's called which means if I say you owe me money, we don't just say, and, and let's say I can't prove it, we don't just say, well, suffolk you have to pay. No. Suffolk, the, 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 the burden of proof is on the person who wants the cash. So you damaged... 10,000, an acre of my land. I can't prove whether it's cheap land or good land. So what do we say? You have to pay good land? No. You want me to pay? 
prove to me I destroyed good land. That, that doesn't make any sense. So it can't be what we thought, which is we think that Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Kiva are arguing the following. And with this, we think Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Kiva are arguing that you damaged an acre of cheap land. Rabbi Shmuel is saying you have to pay back an acre of his best land, which could be 10x. And Rabbi Kiva is like, why am I paying more? So that, the answer is no. Everyone agrees I don't have to pay more. That's ridiculous. Rather, here's the machlokas. El Omer of Achabar Yaakov, we'll end with this. Halchamai Eskinon, Kosha Hose Izis, Denizik, Kiziboris, Demazik, Rabbi Shmol, Savar, Bidenizik Shaminon, Rabbi Kiva, Savar, Bidemazik Shaminon. The case is you damage an acre of land. No one feels that you have to give back an acre of better land. You have to give back value. So you damage an acre of worth $1,000. So I'm now owed a $1,000 parcel of land of the choicest. The case is where I, the damagee, my, my best is your worst. So the machlekes is, do we go by me and you could give me your swamp land for $1,000, value for value. It is choices because it's my choicest. That's, that's Rav, uh, Ravi Shmuel. And Rav Akiva says, Akiva says, no, no, no. On a biblical level, you have to give me your best. And yes, your best, if you destroyed an acre of my best, your best might be two feet. I don't care. But I get your best. And for value, for value. That's the case. We'll stop it. Whew. It's a lot of a lot of stuff in today's stuff. Have a nice day. You too, you too.